Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rabbi Daniel Nevins, and we'll be studying today Tractate Eruvin, page 17. On the first side of 17, 17a, we learn in a new Mishnah, Arba'ar Dvarim Patru B'machaneh. There are four things permitted to a military camp. Mivi'im Eitzim Mikol Makom, they are allowed to gather firewood from all places. And they are exempted from hand-washing. Wash, hand and from the prohibition of eating foods which are unclearly clear whether they have been tithed. And from creating an Eruv. Now this Mishnah requires explication even before we get into the Gemara. Uh, we seem to be talking about a uh, Israelite army that is out on a campaign. Uh, not one of the original campaigns of the conquest of the land of Israel, which the sages called Milchemet Mitzvah, a sort of sacred war, but rather a Milchemet Rashut, that is an expedition authorized by the king and the Sanhedrin in order to secure or perhaps even expand the boundaries of Israel. In other words, they are the Jewish army. Um, but they're not necessarily uh, in danger right now. They're not necessarily acting in a way that's required to preserve their lives. The question is, what types of latitude are given to soldiers when they are out on campaign and it's not an emergency situation? Um, so our Mishnah has given four examples of things which are permitted. First is a type of um, taking of uh, requisitioning of local materials, particularly of um, these two types of plants, uh, which seem to be, um, in the Gemara's it says, there seem to be a thorny type of plants. Um, now the rabbis in the Talmud will note that already in the days of Joshua, uh, the, the army was allowed to take certain types of firewood from the region, uh, which presumably belonged to somebody. Uh, but here it seems like the um, permission is being extended somewhat. So the soldiers are allowed to take firewood from the area. In other words, it's a mild type of theft. They're not necessarily going into someone's house and taking uh, chopped up wood, but they are taking wood, which is a resource owned by the local property owners. The second special permission given to these soldiers is an exemption from the requirement uh, to wash their hands before eating. This was a broad requirement, which we associate mostly with bread, that hands are considered askaniot, they're uh, always touching things, and therefore they can come into contact with ritual impurity and also just general filth. It's always a good idea to wash your hands. But apparently uh, soldiers back then, and I understand soldiers today as well, might have slightly lower hygienic standards than they might have um, back at home. Uh, and the third category that they were permitted was to eat foods which were of uncertain tithing status. Damai. These are foods that are usually acquired from an, uh, an Am Haaretz, a, a person who's not 
skilled in the rules of uh, tithing, and therefore, even if they claimed to have tithed the food, we're not so sure. Um, nevertheless, these soldiers are allowed um, that leniency to eat such food. And finally, they don't have to prepare an Eruv um, for carrying if they're on a military campaign. We'll come back to that in a moment. The Gemara first wants to talk about um, these permissions and notes that already in the time, the campaign of Joshua, that is during Kibush Haaretz, the conquest of the land of Israel, um, several well over a thousand years prior to uh, when these uh, events are being described, um, there were 10 uh, conditions that were made for Joshua on behalf of his troops that would allow them to, for example, pasture their animals um, and to gather firewood from the fields of the enemy that they were conquering. But the Talmud says that there actually, in the days of Joshua, it was limited to sort of thistles, um, to hizme and higi, which uh, apparently were a type of firewood that was not the most desirable. And in fact, in taking this firewood, you were also helping the farmers clear their land. And so it was arguably um, actually not even theft at all. It was performing some sort of free uh, labor uh, for the conquered population perhaps a morally questionable permission, but nonetheless a, a, a limited one and a precedent for our case. But here the Mishnah seems to be permitting uh, a broader spectrum of requisitioning of the local resources. It's actually kind of perplexing because Joshua um, was doing a biblically mandated campaign, whereas the Mishnah seems to be anticipating a lower level campaign of, um, of, of expansion. In any event, um, we've got a broader permission here for theft of resources of the local population. Indeed, the sages here extend the permission in two important ways. They understand that in the days of Joshua, the uh, gathering of firewood um, was limited to mechubarim, that is to say, firewood that was still um, attached to trees, so that it took more labor to gather it. Here it's talking about firewood, which has already um, been perhaps uh, separated from the, the tree. Perhaps it's even stacked up. Inami, or perhaps, there in the days of Joshua, they limited the permission to taking uh, damp wood. And here they also permitted it for dry wood, which is, of course, more valuable. So in any event, we've got a permission here for the soldiers to use the land that they're passing through on their military campaign. Uh, now the text uh, takes the same concept, but makes it a little bit um, more dramatic. Because after all, one thing that happens with soldiers is that um, they get killed in battle. And if they're killed in battle, uh, and there's no one to uh, bury them, then they are considered what's called a mate mitzvah, a commanding corpse. And it's upon their friends to uh, to bury them. Well, where are they going to bury them? They're going to bury them where they find them. Because after all, they say that the, the mate, the corpse, uh, purchases its own property. It's a remarkable concept. Umate mitzvah kone mikomo. A commanding corpse claims the land where it's located. And so if so, if so then they're in fact commandeering um, land, which might be farmland, and turning it into a, a cemetery plot. The Gemara now says, isn't this obvious? This is Pshita. And they say, no, it's it's necessary because it may not, in fact, be a mate mitzvah. After all, 
um, first they have to inquire and decide whether there's anybody else available to bury this person from their own family. If so, then it's not truly considered a mate mitzvah, a commanding corpse, because and the normal procedures of burial can be followed. Um, moreover, there's a, um, a brighta, an early Tanaitic tradition, which is cited, which says that if you do find a mate mitzvah, um, this unclaimed corpse uh, lying in a uh, public thoroughfare, you can sort of slide or move the, um, the corpse over to the side, to the right, to the left of the public thoroughfare um, and, and bury it in the field that's by the side of the road. This is important because uh, thoroughfares were not so easily moved and they had to be traveled on uh, by Kohanim, by priests and Nazarites and by other people who were on their way to bring a sacrifice. And uh, so if you just bury a corpse in the middle of the road, you're going to cause a great inconvenience to the majority, to the Rabbim. And so you're allowed, according to this Brita, to move the corpse to the right or the left. And it goes on that, in fact, if you find that there's a, um, that there's a, a land which has been cleared for um, burial, I'm sorry, cleared for uh, crops, uh, stay near, compared to a uh, an un sort of plowed field, the stabur, right, then you can move it into the stabur. You can move the corpse into the less well-prepared land. Uh, likewise, if there's a, a plowed field and the next to that a sown field, a field that's already been seeded, um, you can move the corpse out of the seeded field, the bait zera, uh, and into the bait near. Um, so there are some permissions for moving the corpse a little bit in order to bury it in a more convenient location. Rav Bibi says, um, He says, you know, those permissions are not as broad as you might think. They're all saying that if the body is found in a um, public thoroughfare and you have a choice you and you have a permission to move it from one to one direction or another you can choose the most convenient location to move it to so you would move it to the piece of land which had not already been plowed or if it had been plowed uh, a piece of land that had not yet been sown with seed and in that way you can fulfill the obligation of burying the dead without uh, damaging the property of farmers uh, more than is absolutely necessary. The Mishnah exempted the soldiers also from hand washing. Abayi says that they were only talking about washing before um, eating. However, Mayim Acharonim, the hand washing that's done after a meal and in our day before Birkat Hamazon in some communities, um, was always required. But why was that? According to Rav Chia, that's because the final water was not really a ritual requirement at all. Um, in ancient times, they used uh, this particularly uh, coarse type of salt called the melech stomit, the, uh, the sodomite uh, salt. And um, if you didn't clean that off your hands and you touch your eyes, you might actually blind yourself. Um, um, so it seems that uh, what had been presented as a ritual requirement is in fact just common sense. 
And if you're not dealing with this type of potent salt, then you can um, avoid washing your hands after the meal, um, whether it's for the sake, of, whether you're a soldier, whether you're just a regular uh, person eating at home. Finally, the, the chapter ends with the discussion of the Eruv, and it says that uh, the Eruv, which they exempted the soldiers from uh, building was that of the Chatzerot, for carrying on Shabbat. But the Eruv Tchumin, the type of Eruv that allows a person to walk more than uh, 2,000 cubits, was still required for them. This is in fact based upon a verse, Al a person shouldn't leave his location on the seventh day. And with this, we complete the first chapter of uh, Eruvin, Hadran Lach Mavoi, Shehu Gavoa. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.